Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 13 tonight. The nature of a king. He has delivered us. The word delivered in the Greek means rescued. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom. Everybody say the kingdom. Of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is indeed the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. So if you are connected with Christ, nothing can have dominion over you because He created it all and He controls it all and He is all. Amen? And He is before all things. And in Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, the firstborn from Mary, the firstfruits of the resurrection. He is the firstborn from the dead that in all things he may have preeminence. Preeminence means first place, that he may have first place. He would be preeminent in your life, which means you're not to have idols before you. It means that God must be the king of your heart, the king of your church, the king of your mind. It means he truly must be on the throne of your soul. To have preeminence means to have priority. Does God have the priority in your life? Are you seeking him first? Verse 19, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him whether things on earth or things in heaven having made peace through the blood of Jesus and you everybody say that's me who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works yet now he has reconciled all of us in the body of his flesh through death to present all of us Holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. That's called grace, my friend. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So in the first few verses... We are acknowledging Christ as our king. We are worshiping God as we did tonight in our worship service. We are worshiping him with these two verses. Paul is reminding the Colossians about who his king is and what his king has done and the power that his king holds. He rescued us. How many of you are thankful that God rescued you? from a lifestyle of sin, from bondage, from your past, from guilt, from shame, from what they said about you, from what they did to you. God rescued us, but he didn't just rescue us. It says that he redeemed us. And in the Greek, that word means bought with a price. It means that literally God paid the ransom for every mistake we'll ever make through his blood. So he rescued us from who we used to be and he redeemed us in the sense that we don't have to live under condemnation or guilt or shame. He redeemed us 
And he removes the guilt of our sin. Paul is praising God in a New Testament way. David did this often. In Psalm 51, 55, Psalm 32, he would praise the Lord. And you hear Paul reminding them about who his king was. He revealed the fullness of the Godhead in his son Jesus. That's good stuff, man. And in these first two verses, he's laying down the truths about who his king is. But he says in verse 16, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth visible and invisible. I want to say this in regards to the nature of a king. First, I celebrate the fact tonight that Jesus is the king of the universe. He created it all. By him it was all created. Heaven, earth, thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. Yes, demons. They were all created. They were all a part of the kingdom. Lucifer fell from heaven because he rebelled against God. And Lucifer is the prince of this era. But do you understand that his number is already up because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I've read the last chapter of the Bible. We win. So we don't have to live in fear, guilt, condemnation. We win, my friend. And as Christians, we need to live as winners. We need to live as though we know where we're going, what we're called to do, who we are in Christ. He is the king of the universe, which means he is the source of all creation. Hebrews Chapter 11, beginning with verse 3, says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. Jesus is the source of all creation. When God spoke, things happened. Let me say this. When God speaks today, things still happen. When God's hand moves today, things still happen. You don't have to beg for God to move. You don't have to wallow in sorrow when you're praying. You have to, by faith, command things to happen. And if you're in covenant with the king and you're under God's sovereign will, you can change your circumstances by faith. He is the source of all creation. Psalms 33 verse 9 says, For he spoke and it was done. Everybody say done. He commanded it and it stood fast. So God doesn't need permission to move. He goes where he's welcome. He likes holy habitations. He doesn't stay in unclean places. He's worthy to be praised. He likes to be honored and welcome. He likes to see his spirit lifted up in people. But I'm telling you, we are like that too. You don't want to go somewhere you're not welcome. How many of you have ever been somewhere and realized once you got there, you really weren't welcome? It's not fun going someplace you're not welcome. I think sometimes Jesus is not welcome in some of our churches. They're afraid that the water might turn to wine or dead people might get up. Demons might be cast out into a bunch of pigs and then they drown themselves. You don't want the real Jesus to show up. Now this crowd may, 
But most religious people wouldn't know what to do with Jesus. Calling people blood of vipers, turning over tables in religious establishments, turning water into wine, healing paralyzed men by the pool of Bethesda, casting devils out, hanging out with prostitutes. Most people wouldn't know what to do with Jesus. But he is the source of all creation. God created the world. The world did not create itself out of nothing. We did not evolve from monkeys. All of this didn't happen by accident. Protons, neutrons, and electrons were created by God. I do believe in good science, but even if you split an atom, you'll see that it multiplies, the energy multiplies. These things don't happen by accident. Planets don't stay where they're supposed to stay and rotate on an axis like they're supposed to because of osmosis or because of an accident. God created this, and when it's supposed to come to an end, it's going to come to an end. I believe in recycling. We recycle, but frankly, I don't think that that has any bearing on when this thing's going to be rolled up into its own and when God's going to come back. This thing had a beginning and it has an end. And God's got a plan. I believe evolution is a philosophy that has turned into a religion. It's not even mathematical anymore. Most scientists will tell you they can't prove it. And it doesn't line up with the word of God. So he's the king of the universe. He's the source of all creation. He is also the splendor of all creation. Visible and invisible, thrones or dominions, principalities and powers, all things were created through him and for him. So the beauty of creation is Jesus. When you see our beautiful leaves in the fall here in East Tennessee, you ought to think of Jesus. When you see the beautiful oceans of the Caribbean, you ought to think of Jesus. When you see the snow-capped Rockies, you ought to think of Jesus. Because it was all created for him and those who are in covenant with him. So don't feel guilty if God blesses you with a trip, even if it's a road trip. Maybe it's a trip on a ship. Maybe it's a cruise. Don't feel guilty if God bless you. Enjoy his creation. Because it was created by him and for him. And if you are connected with him, he is in you and you are part of him. And it's for yours to enjoy. So just enjoy it. He's also the sustainer of all creation. He's the splendor of it, but he's the sustainer of it. And he is before all things. And in him, all things consist. All things. I believe God is in control. But he doesn't always intervene. He's in control, but he doesn't intervene because he has a will and he has a plan and there are consequences and we have a free will and we also have a submissive will and God is in control, but he doesn't always intervene, particularly on this earth, on this planet. Why? Because this is an eternity. He's an eternal God. And what we mourn about here is meaningless there. Because life ever after is there. This is temporary. Now we can't help but mourn and be sad and be devastated. Because this is the realm in which we live. Unless we're connected with the king to the degree that we see a new kingdom and have hope. And once we have that hope. Once we've solved that mystery of Christ in us, the hope of glory, then we see the kingdom brand new. We understand the nature of a king, and we understand that our kingdom is not of this world. That's what Jesus said. My kingdom is not of this world. And if you're connected with the king, you can see another kingdom. How many of you have seen 
another kingdom. How many of you have had a vision? I have. If you're saved, you ought to have hope. And hope ought to bring forth a vision. Amen. I have a vision to see my lost loved ones. I have a vision to walk with Jesus. I have a vision to be a part of the millennial reign. My vision is not just for here. It's for there. And when you move your mindset from here to there, things begin to shift. Miracles aren't that big of a deal if your mind's there. Amen? If your mind is in the, on the kingdom and you're worshiping the king, then miracles are not a big deal. It's just part of the process. It's an everyday occurrence in the kingdom. What we think is a miracle here is nothing there. Nothing. Illness is not even allowed there. Sickness is not even allowed in the kingdom. He's not only the king of the universe, he's the king of the church. I heard a story some time ago by Dr. David Jeremiah about a talking parrot. And this guy bought a parrot, and uh, he was lonely, and he wanted the parrot to talk and keep him entertained. So he took the parrot home, the parrot didn't talk. So he goes back to the pet shop, guy says, man, you need to buy a ladder for this thing. So he buys a little one of those little ladders for the parrot, puts it in the cage, 24 hours, parrot doesn't talk. Goes back and says, man, you need to buy a mirror so the parrot can primp himself. So he buys the mirror, goes through this whole process, parrot still doesn't talk. Next thing, he buys some toys for it. All this thing, and, and finally, he, he gets the ladder, he gets the toys, he gets the mirror, he takes the whole thing back, and uh, the pet store owner said, after the parrot died, 24 hours later, that the man forgot to feed the parrot. He was so interested in hearing the parrot talk that he forgot to feed the parrot. He bought the parrot toys but forgot to feed the parrot. I think sometimes in the kingdom of God, we're so interested in the gifts of God that we forget the giver. We're so interested in all the things associated with the kingdom that we forget the king. And the king is worthy to be praised. The king and our relationship with the king brings about the kingdom. You cannot have the kingdom without the king. You need a relationship with Jesus, king of kings, lord of lords, if you're going to have the kingdom. The church needs a king. It ought to be Jesus. Amen. A body without a head is lifeless. It's lifeless. Everything needs a head, and Jesus Christ is not only the king of the universe, he's the king of the church. He's the king of this church, and he ought to be the king of your hearts. Amen? King of your hearts. We often forget that Jesus is the head of the church. We look today at personalities and pastors and you know me, I believe in honor. I believe we should honor our leaders. We should do that. There's a biblical principle associated with it. But I'm telling you, we must make sure that Jesus is at the head of all we do. That he is preeminent, that he is first place. That's what it says in verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. The church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell in him. He is the brains of the church. You can have all the worldly knowledge that you think you need to have to run a church. 
You can have degrees, you can have experts, you can have marketing gurus, but if you don't connect with the mind of Christ, you'll fail miserably. Because Jesus is the brains of the church. His plans are better than my plans. His ways are better than my ways. He's not only the brains of the church, he's the breath of the church. Church ought to have more than brains. It needs some breath every now and then, some spirit, amen? He is the Holy Ghost, amen? Sometimes you need the Holy Spirit to move on a church. You can have God's creative ideas and you can have his mind, but if you don't have his spirit... The God that I serve is a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You need all those things functioning as one. So he's the brains of the church. He is the breath of the church. The Spirit of God. Without the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what is church? It's nothing. It's a social club. You need the Spirit of God. How many of you would say, man, I've been filled with the Spirit. I've, been, I've had that breath on me before. The breath of God. The Ruach. The creative wind of the Spirit. That's the beauty of the church is Jesus. At the Mount of Transfiguration, the disciples closest to him in describing that moment said, We beheld his glory. We were astounded at his glory. If you've ever been in the midst of his glory, man, it is a wonderful place to be. There ain't no high like the most high if you've ever been in his glory. When his glory drops on something, it is legit. It is heavy. Things pass away that were bogging down your mind previously. When you're in his glory, those things don't matter as much. Things begin to just pass through that were worrying you. Healing comes when you get in his glory. May we never come to church and not long for his glory. Psalms 96 verse 9 says, Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. There's something to be said about taking God serious. He's not our homeboy. He's not our buddy. He's not our pal. He's a holy God. Now, he is like a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is the father of the fatherless and protector of widows. He does forgive, and he does love, and he does give us an abundance of grace. But when you get in his presence, there's a holiness. And that holiness will require you to tremble. It will require you to repent. If you're a Christian, if you're connected with the king, you can't come before him unclean. Amen? You need to be filled and healed. He's not only the king of the church and king of the universe. I close right here. He is the king of humanity. And this is what Paul would tell the Colossian church who had been plagued by Gnosticism and mysticism and all of these cults, these false doctrines had crept in. He's reminding them of the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And he's reminding them of the king. He's reminding them who should be the head and he says this, and by him, to reconcile all things to himself. By him. He keeps going back. By him. By him. By him. By him. The king. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. 
Yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present us holy, blameless, and above reproach. That's what the cross of Jesus Christ has done for us, my friend. It made us holy. You say, Pastor Ronnie, I don't feel holy tonight. You're made holy through the blood of Jesus. Pastor Ronnie, I don't feel worthy tonight. You're worthy because he's worthy. Pastor Ronnie, I don't feel clean. We'll repent and your sins will be washed clean as white as snow the Bible says it's not about feeling and emotion it's about what he did for you which was a final payment he said we are above reproach so if the enemy says you're sorry you're no good you're unfaithful you're this you're that you're never going to change say I'm above reproach you can't even accuse me anymore because I've already been proven innocent If indeed, but here's what's interesting, especially for grace guys like me, because he gives this declaration. Y'all stay with me. I'm about to close. He gives this declaration right here about what the death, burial, and resurrection means to all of us. We've been reconciled through his death, and now we're presented, again, holy, blameless, and above reproach, right? So yes, we've, we've received an abundance of grace. We're now holy, even when we don't feel like it. We're above reproach. He can't convict us. He can't accuse us. We're above reproach. But then it says this, if. This is hard for a guy raised Baptist, okay? It's hard for a grace guy, but I'm going to preach truth to you. Amen. Because this level of grace that I preach to you all the time, that I pour my heart out to you and I try to find it in the tabernacle, I try to find it in the wilderness, I try to find it in Exodus, I try to find it in Leviticus, I try to find it in the Old Covenant, I find it in the life of David and I bring you something about grace every week, no matter what I'm preaching on, but here are the facts, there is an if. God knows when you're playing with him and he knows when I'm playing with him. If indeed you continue in the faith so you can't take this grace this blameless gift that God's given you this level of holiness that he's poured out on you and just do what you want and forget God's house forget that he's the head of the church forget that he's the king of the universe forget that he created it all he's in all he's above all he's preeminent you can't do that even Romans says, shall we continue in sin? No. So, to continue in the faith, if indeed you continue in the faith, because this church at Colossae used to be a big city. Trade routes rerouted it. It became a small city. Epaphras, the pastor there, was inexperienced. Paul was his leader, but he was in jail, awaiting trial before Caesar. So he writes him this letter, and he knows all this nonsense is going on. And he says, you cannot accept every wind of doctrine. You cannot live like you want and experience the fullness of my king. You have to continue in the faith. 
See, people accuse evangelicals all the time of thinking that once you're saved, you're always saved. But we don't really use that terminology. We've really never used it. What we believe at this church is something called the perseverance of the saints. Okay? What that means is if you have the real Jesus, you will persevere till the end. Okay? It means you'll persevere. So if you have the real thing, you're not going to walk away from it. You're going to continue in the faith if you are truly saved. Amen? Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It means God's done something real in your life. He's the king of your heart. So even if you take a detour, you're going to continue in the faith. It's called the perseverance of the, of the faith. It doesn't mean you can live like you want. It just means I have the real thing. I'm going to persevere. So I may have a setback, but that's just going to set me up for a comeback. Okay? Nobody here believes you can live how you want. Some people believe you can lose your salvation. That cheapens salvation. It cheapens the blood of Jesus. It cheapens the crown of thorns. It cheapens the cross. If you think God died, so if you stub your toe and cuss on the way out of here, you're going to lose your salvation. That is silly and it's unbiblical. If you have the real Jesus and if you were truly saved, you're going to want to do better. You're going to want to persevere. You're going to enjoy God's house, his people, his word. If you don't have the real thing, you need the real thing. You need the real thing. I'll sit here all day. If indeed you continue in the faith. Now here we go. Grounded and steadfast. Grounded. Spirit, truth. You need the Holy Ghost, you need truth. When you get off too much spirit and it's not backed up by truth, you do damage. When you become such a truth nut that you become legalistic and a know-it-all and you won't make room for the Holy Ghost, you do damage to the kingdom. You need to be grounded in God's Word and by His Spirit, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So in chapter 1, the kingdom can come to earth. The king is accessible. He is the king of the universe. He is the king of the church. He's to be the king of our hearts. The king and his kingdom can come to earth. Peace comes to us all. We are eventually returned back to our Father, the King. We are stable in our faith, grounded and steadfast, stirring hope for the return of our Savior. That's what God's called us to. We are reconciled to Jesus, and because we are reconciled to a King, we are reconciled to one another. Kingdom theology is biblical theology. Jesus came to declare a kingdom, not to implement a religion. He came declaring a kingdom, a kingdom with its own government, with its own standards, with different embassies, somebody say local church, with ambassadors, with different gifts. So that when he comes back, we reign with him. 
the gifts that you're cultivating now, you'll use them again. So if you've got a gift to worship, guess what? You're going to have an assignment during the millennial reign to worship. If you're gifted to serve, you're going to be serving. If you're an evangelist, you're going to be doing something along those lines. Whatever gift God put in you, it's going to translate into the other dimension. So don't run from your gift. And don't allow the devil to beat you up and tell you you're not worthy. You need to be cultivating your gifts. Because guess what? You're not going to heaven to float on a cloud. You're going to serve a king. Amen? Bow your head and close your eyes.